0: This is Johnny Blue Star. Welcome to Threshold, a global media event. Is the universe just a random dance of atoms, or is it a manifestation of a supremely intelligent architect? Can its purpose, or our purpose here on Earth, be adequately assessed? Can we commune with it, know its intentions, cooperate with its direction? Here, we define Threshold as a gateway state of awareness, allowing mankind to cross into a place of real cognition. Threshold allows us to approach questions of higher reality through the door of experience rather than mere belief. Welcome to Threshold, where we tear away the veil from commercial media, bringing our audience and participants into another realm of reality and enhanced communication. This is Johnny Bluestar. As host of Threshold Radio, I've had the experience of speaking with many interesting people. But the guest I'm introducing today, Paula Lenz, has had an experience that could be life-altering for some of my listeners. Even for those familiar with various types of paranormal phenomena like telepathy, out-of-body journeys, near-death experiences, this story could still rock your world. Why? because it presents a very different and rare paradigm of the human experience and alters what is understood of the possibilities between life and death. I just want to read a couple of things here about reviews of Paul's book, which is called Driving Into Infinity, Living With My Brother's Spirit. I just love that name, Driving Into Infinity, which is absolutely true when you get to understand what she's about to tell us. Anyway, this man... His name's Kenneth Ring. He's an author of Lessons from Light and one of the founders of the International Association for Near-Death Studies. This is what he said. Paula Lenz's book shows how the deepest grief can unlock the greatest spiritual treasures. The story of how the death of her beloved brother Don had also provided her and us with the incontrovertible evidence of life after death should convince any skeptic that we live after we die. And we're about to hear her story. Good morning, Paula.
1: Good morning.
0: Well, you certainly have caught the attention of a few people in the field. Would you say that uh, a lot of people know about your experience yet?
1: Well, now they do, (laughs) given that uh, I've written the book, and I I was a speaker at the IANS conference last year with Dr. Janice Holden, who wrote the afterword of the book, and she actually provides the research information about my experience and in dealing with near-death experiences and and how my experience figures into all of that research but there certainly is so much more out there now and you know i waited so long to share this story of mine The story has only been revealed by me very recently. uh, My book was published toward the end of 2017, and this experience actually happened to me in 1983, so there were only a few of my closest friends who ever really knew anything about this experience.
0: But would you say that the ordinary person, I'm just saying like, like someone who reads paper occasionally or a news site or whatever would really know much about, first of all, the near-death experience, much less yours. Do you think a lot of people know it? Like if you walk down the street and you're hey, do you know there's such a thing as a near-death experience that people would actually know about it?
1: I think people might be familiar with the term, but I don't think that even though there is so much more information available now and there are so many more organizations that have been set up around this whole idea, but I, I still think that most people in general are not all that familiar with, you know, more details about near-death experiences or, or shared death experiences or anything like that, but certainly it, the information that's available out there has come a very long way since uh, before I had my experience.
0: Well, it came a long way, but how many people, I mean, I know that when you contacted, or she contacted you, Dr. Janice Holden, you found out there was one, I think in her book, there was one example, the only one that you had ever encountered that was even similar to yours.
1: Yes. In fact, I had contacted Dr. Holden. I had seen her name as being a previous president of the IANS group. I was actually trying to get in touch with, hopefully, Dr. Kenneth Ring because in 1985, after my experience in 1983, I was compelled to just read everything I could find about spirituality and potentially, I guess, other experiences. And in his book called Heading Toward Omega, again, I read that in 1985, his whole book really was focused on near-death experiences, but he included one experience that, um, a woman had had while she was giving a eulogy at one of her best friend's funeral. And her experience was somewhat similar to mine in that she did see her deceased friend, but, you know, she didn't really go off into infinity like I did. with Yes. Her. But it at least gave me enough information to realize at that time hey, I'm not crazy. <laughs> this kind of thing can actually happen. And for that reason, I was always grateful to to Dr. Ring for his books and his research in the field. And as a result, when I wrote this book, I really wanted to get in touch with him, if at all possible, and explain to him how grateful I was to him, and then ask him if he would you know, take a look at my story, and he did, and then, you know, provided the the quote to me.
0: Did did you find anything since, I mean, since when you contacted him and, you know, after the book and so forth, and other examples?
1: Well, I've never really seen one quite like mine, certainly not while someone was driving. Even Dr. Holden commented to me on that, that she'd never really heard of anybody having an out-of-body experience with someone uh, while they were driving a vehicle. But, you know, there are some examples of shared death experiences where when people are at someone's deathbed, they can cross over with that person at the time that they die, you know, just for a few moments or whatever and kind of share that crossing. But again, as far as going on and experiencing more beyond that... I haven't read or come across too much beyond that.
0: Before you go on with your story, I'd like to play a bit from Dr. Raymond Moody, who is the man credited with coining the term near-death experience and doing the first modern original research on this rare and extraordinary subject. He describes this here, but also explains the origin of his next
2: groundbreaking research into what he calls the shared death experience. To review briefly, I talked about near-death experience, a pattern of experience we see all over the world, where they talk of leaving their body and um, entering into a state of existence they just find impossible to describe. And um, say that they proceed through a passage into a brilliant light, where they meet relatives or friends of theirs who've died. And in this light seem to be wrapped up in comfort and love and peace and then uh, undergo panoramic memory in which all of the events of their life life seem to be displayed around them in a hologram instantly and then have the experience of coming back and feeling uh, after that time that uh, what we are what we um, are all about here is trying to learn how to love and saying that their experience is absolutely convincing to them that what we call death is a transition into another reality. And um, again, you know, I think unless you've been hanging out in a cave in the Himalayas, hey, which some of you may have been been doing, um, you know, for the past 40 years, I'm I'm sure we've all all heard of this. Um, But there is a parallel and I would say identical phenomenon that I call the shared death experience, which has a very different um, 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 significance, I think. And um, I I want to tell talk a little bit about how I became aware of this. I was um, I had been studying near death experiences. Really, you could say ten years if you start with my interest in this through Plato, or five years if you talk about it in terms of me interviewing a lot of people. Uh, So by the time I uh, went to medical school, I had five or 10 years experience with this concept. And, um, you know, a story I hear all the time is that uh, poor Dr. Moody was, you know, persecuted by the medical community. And, uh, you know, they thought he was crazy and tried to drum him out of the medical scene. And, You know, that's a wonderful story, and in a way, I almost wish it were true. I mean, uh, you know, it's a heroic tale, but the reality is it didn't happen that way because by the time I got to medical school, I had gone the Ph.D. in philosophy route, and so um, a lot of the people I grew up with in Georgia uh, had gone on to medical school during the time I was getting my Ph.D. and serving as a professor. So they were, some of them were residents in the medical school or upper-class medical students. And um, so by the time I got to the medical school in 19, September of 72, a lot of these friends of mine who knew about my research had spread the word among the faculty that the, stu- the student was coming in in September who had done this work. And I look on back on this very warmly and favorably. Within the first couple of weeks that I was in medical school, eight professors um, really went out of their way to seek me out, come to my house, or invite me to their house. And it was very favorable. About half of them were people who had had such an experience themselves and were intrigued by it and was glad that somebody was studying it. And the others, including the very first person I heard this from was a wonderful professor of hematology of mine uh claude star wright who had um had heard of this from one of his own patients and it was really as a big significant event in his life so i was really i never had any trouble from the the medical community on this it was the exact opposite and um so in that context around um It was in either December of 72 or early January of 73, and I was in the bookstore at the medical school, and a very nice woman came in and introduced herself as Dr. So-and-so, and and I knew the name immediately because she was a very distinguished professor in the medical school, and she said, Dr. Moody, I've been wanting to meet you because (laughs) I'll tell you what she said. She said, because of some, <laughs> because of some mentation I had <laughs> when I was resuscitating my mother. And she was a psychiatrist, to tell you the truth. And uh, I just thought that was an interesting, you know, her idea was that I had this mentation. And it had obviously affected her very deeply. So she took me across the campus to her office, and this is what she told me, that some little while before she had been in the sand situation of having to resuscitate her own mother unsuccessfully and um, so what she described to me was that as she was trying to resuscitate her mother she herself felt that she got out of her body and like me she had been raised in a kind of a religious or non-religious environment and this was i remember the affect of her discussion it was just she was very startled by this and uh, startled to find she could see her own body down beside her mother's now deceased body. This, this, she said as she felt her, her mother die, she herself felt she got out of her body. She saw her own body down below and her mother's now deceased body. And, uh, and she was trying, the words she said, she said, I was trying to get my bearings. And uh, as she was kind of surveying this situation, she became aware of her mother now out of the body. And uh, she said that she perceived her mother there beside her now in spirit form, as she said. And she um, saw saw this intense light beaming. And out of that light were emerging figures, some of whom she recognized as people that had died uh, while she was alive, who were friends or relatives of her mother's. But others she didn't recognize, but she surmised that they had been people who um, her mother had known who had died before she herself, this physician, was born. And she said she said her goodbyes to her mother, and she saw her mother recede into this light and this reunion with these other figures, and then she said they were all kind of, I think, I forgot the word she used, but like pulled or drawn back into this light. And she said, when this closed off, it did so in a spiral manner. She, she said it was like seeing the lens or the lens, whatever that thing is of a camera, where it goes down and it closes in a spiral form. Then there was, you know, the light was gone, and then she was standing there beside her mother's now deceased body. And that was the first case that I had heard of, um, of what I now call a shared death experience.
0: That was quite a story, but as they say, you ain't seen nothing yet. We'll begin after the break with the beginning of Paul Lens' exciting spiritual adventure, Driving into Infinity. This is Johnny Bluestar, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. Initially, I wanted to be a playwright, but once in college, I fell in love with movies and have been writing my own and for clients for many years. No, I'm not entrenched in Hollywood. But I think if you look at my samples, you can determine if I can capture the drama and power of your idea. I'm up to refining your work to professional quality. I've worked on dramatic films, comedy, science fiction, documentaries, and even musicals. I have several books published now that are the beginning of book and film franchises. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com and fill out the contact form. The following is from West Side Warrior, the memoir of Ray Boylan, a Korean War veteran and crime fighter. He was there fighting in the world's coldest battlefield when the Chinese communists invaded. Desperate squad members ran past our foxhole yelling, Get the hell out of here! There's too many of them! Again, we saw the Chinese soldiers charge again with opium induced mindlessness, oblivious of our bullets. Again, we heard the bugles and whistles. Climbing out of our foxhole, Bob dropped two hand grenades behind us and I threw one over my shoulder, bullets whizzing by our heads. Bob and I became bolts of lightning flashing across the mountainside. Like a hideous film, desperate scenes like this played out on the Tokong Pass for three days. Sometimes I played in the scene. Sometimes I could only watch and wonder if it were real, or if I'd be suddenly jolted out of my trance by an RKO usher saying, Hey, did you kids sneak in here? To acquire this book, google westsidewarrior.boylan.kindle. Boylan is spelled B-O-Y-L-A-N. That's West Side Warrior, Boylan, Kindle.
3: It's time to face the truth and not the lie that's any. I'm disillusioned, I'm discontent.
0: well I think we should get to the experience a little bit Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but first before we get exactly there before it happened to you, to somebody really concerned about after-death experiences or paranormal stuff you, or spirituality, more of a very competent, uh, I, I would say, person who worked and had a family and so forth, And it, but it wasn't a, a, at all what happened later, right?
1: Exactly. I was brought up in the Baptist religion, you know, I had gone to church and Sunday school and all that, but... You know, just like most people, it's like, okay, well, that's what we do on Sunday. And then, you know, the rest of the week, we're working and taking care of our careers and, and that sort of thing. And it was not an area that I focused on that much and was not a main focus of mine.
0: But you had a very close relationship with your family and particularly, I guess, with your brother, Don.
1: Yes, my brother and I, I'm the oldest child in the family, and my brother was four years younger. And I have a sister, but she is 10 years younger. My brother and I essentially shared all of our childhood memories because we grew up together, whereas, as I said, I was already 10 years old when my sister was born. By the time she was 10, I was already 20, and in college, you know, it wasn't the same scenario with her. Right. So my, my brother and I were very close. And also being the oldest, you know, it was always a case whenever we would go out to play in the neighborhood, I was always told, you know, now look out for your brother, you know, make sure everything's okay. So I always had this kind of sense of responsibility about him in growing up to try to be sure everything went okay and we didn't get into trouble and that sort of thing. We were definitely, you know, close in that regard.
0: Let's go into the next thing that happened, which would be a certain traumatic thing that happened with your brother.
1: Well, I'm going to start with a year before his accident, in 1982, in the fall. I began having a recurring dream. This dream was always the same, and it continued for the next year off and on. But basically, the dream was... I found myself outside on some hills, and people were gathering. More and more people were coming to this area. Eventually, someone came up to me and asked me what was happening. I replied that I heard it was the end of the world. And everyone was looking up at the sky, and there appeared Jesus. When that happened, suddenly I just doubled over uh, down toward the ground, and I was just experiencing the worst pain of my life. But it wasn't physical pain. It was heartfelt suffering and agony beyond words. And as I doubled over, I just kept saying to myself, but it isn't supposed to be this way. I thought the end of the world was supposed to be joyous. And then the dream would end. And I had no idea what this dream meant or why I kept having it. So we fast forward here to Friday, October the 7th of 1983. And that morning, I drove my husband to a meeting to drop him off. And we were meeting later that day at the Greek festival near downtown Houston, a very popular event in Houston. And as I'm driving my husband to drop him off, I suddenly began having this terrible pain over my heart area. And I was quite frightened by that. I wondered what was happening to me.
0: Was this the same type of pain that you had in the dream?
1: No, this was just over my heart area. And I was more afraid about my physical health. And I glanced at the clock in the car and I noticed it was 9 a.m. I was trying to be sure I was going to get my husband to his meeting on time. Dropped him off, went on down to the Greek festival. And then later he joined me down there. But when he arrived, and there were a lot of people there. Part of this uh, event is outside, and then part of it they hold inside in the annex area where you get, uh, your, you know, food and that sort of thing. And I was inside the annex area when I saw him making his way through all these crowds of people, and I was there with a, a lot of friends of mine. When I saw his face as he got closer, I knew that something was really wrong. I'd never seen him look like that. As he came up to me, he put his hands on my arms, and he looked me right in the eyes, and he said, Donnie was killed in an accident this morning. And as I'm standing there, just looking in my mind's eye, I could just see a picture of, like, the earth just falling, falling, and just crashing down at my feet. And I just doubled over agony down toward the floor and was screaming and crying. And suddenly I knew what the dream had been trying to show me. And that was the circumstances under which I was going to find out about this terrible, tragic news about my brother. I just, if you'll let me read just a short paragraph here from my book, I just want to kind of convey to listeners just how awful this was for me. Sure, go ahead. I had written, every moment was sheer agony during those days with no words to adequately describe a broken heart. Nothing made sense and everything about life was dark. I barely slept. I moved in a daze. I wanted to die every day this terrible, impenetrable wall now separated me from ever having contact with my beloved brother again. How do you process that fact and integrate it into your life? I could not. And at the burial site, I wondered how I could possibly continue living like this. So this was the state I was in, in relation to my brother's death. And in my hometown, the week following my brother's funeral to help my parents with different aspects afterwards. It was during that time which I had this experience. About midweek, I had decided to take some flowers to my grandparents' house. And the only vehicle I had access to, because my husband had left me there in Bryant, I was actually driving my brother's personal a small truck because my brother had been killed in a company truck so I'm driving my brother's vehicle I'm headed to my grandparents house which was about 10 or 15 minutes away from my dad's and as I'm driving along I suddenly developed 360 degree vision while I'm driving I could see everything in all directions as I was driving down the road and I was like what is happening to me and then at that moment I saw just to the right of just at the right shoulder I could see my brother there with me Um, now he he still looked like himself but he also was like a pattern of lights but I knew it was him and he began speaking to me telepathically and he told me Uh, not to be sad, that he was happy. And most of all, he wanted me to know uh, a little bit about what life was like for him now. He explained to me that he was on another plane of being and that it had simply been time for him to leave. Then I realized that I was no longer in my body. I was with my brother, but it was like being in just a state of consciousness with him. And initially, I, I say that I saw what looked like a landscape to me, but it was it was more like looking at the negative of a photo or something. It was just like outlines of a countryside. But then after that, my focus was entirely on experiencing infinity and eternity. And throughout this entire experience, my brother stayed with me. But the first thing I experienced was this wave of peace that came over me while I'm in this state of consciousness and feeling as though I'm out in the universe. And it was, it reminded me of the passage in the Bible that talks about the peace that passes understanding. And then another wave came over me. That was a wave of all knowledge that I knew everything in the universe. I knew everything that had ever happened in the history of the universe. And then the third wave I experienced was this energy of pure love. Uh, and this is what I call spirit in my book, this energy of love. This energy of love, our spirit, uh, was just unbelievable. And I knew at that moment that I experienced this energy of love, this spirit. I knew that I was one with everything, everything in the universe. I was one, and that everybody and everything in the universe is one. We're all part of this energy of love or spirit. It was just an incredible feeling. And not only did I understand this, I guess you want to call like at an intellectual level, but I actually knew that I was part of this entire fabric of the universe, everything, and that we all are existing in this oneness. Not that we, most of the time, consciously realize that here, but I knew that there was no separation of anything from this all-encompassing spirit.
0: Were the three waves that you experienced essentially the same, but you saw different sides of those experience?
1: Yes, I mean, they're all part of a spirit uh, it's just that you know they, it came to me in in these different waves, but they were all merged into this one all oneness you know when I was experiencing the energy of love and you know this is the supreme consciousness and love that is within our own consciousness, and we are all part of that at all times, you know living our lives here even but again, we get caught up in the drama of living and, I guess, sometimes going through lessons we need to learn or whatever. But everything and everyone is the spirit of universal love. And everything and everyone is connected throughout the entire universe. Did
0: you take anything away, the experience that you had of the all-knowledge of knowing everything, could you take any? did you take any specifics away, something that you remember?
1: I didn't. Focus in on any one aspect of that. But the message that I received at the time I was in that state was that I was home, that I, I knew that I was home. You know, once I began to feel that and realize that, and I knew at this point, you know, I was completely out of body, and I didn't care one thing about going back to my body. And, and when I had this realization that I was home, I wanted to be deeper into this experience. And I didn't want to go back uh, to my life. And as as I started thinking that way, and now my brother is right here with me the whole time. And when I began thinking that, I, I felt as though I was suddenly very rapidly whooshing away Oh. Uh, that was the sensation that I got. And as that began happening, my brother, I'll say exerted his energy on me. And he told me, he said, no, you can't go yet. It's not your time. And with that, I suddenly was pushed back down into my body. I could see myself coming back down into my body as I was driving. And I sort of, I felt like I landed in my body with a thud. And first thought I had at that particular point was, wow, I am just so constricted inside this body wow. now. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> it was just, a, it was amazing to me how, you know, constricted and confined I felt to be back. But I, so I was driving a, a, again and in my brother's truck, and I realized that in the time I had been out of my body, that I somehow had made a turn onto this road that took me to my grandparents' house. But I have no memory whatsoever of uh, driving the truck during that time. And um, so, you know, people often ask me, "Well, well, how, how, who do you think was driving the truck?" and it's been suggested to me that perhaps my brother's energy took that part over. Uh, I don't know, but it was, it was quite jarring, I guess, to end up being back in my body. Well,
0: there, there are actual cases of people who have been, quote, abducted, <clears throat> abducted by aliens, whatever, who have had the phenomena of missing time. <clears throat> and I believe some of them have been driving, and they wake up, they're still driving somewhere,
4: Oh. So, so,
0: actually, I think I've actually read that, not just in one case. We're going to have to take a break now, Paula, because I think everybody's going to have to take a breath because the next part is what happened afterwards.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: We will now take a short break, starting with Back Home by Doc Skinner and followed by a few important messages.
4: Blowin', grab my hat, hit the freeway, tired of country life, headed for the open highways to the city. Now fire's burning and my feet are aching to roam. I can't wait to make my way back home. There's a road that takes you back home, my friend. There's a road that takes you back home There's a road that takes you back home again I can't wait to make my way back home There's a road that takes you back home, my friend There's a road that takes you back home There's a road that takes you back home again I can't wait to make my way back home Time won't stand still Think about living easy why it take so long to grab my hand Cause I was lonely Still the fire's burning, and my feet are aching to roll, I can't wait to make my way back home, there's a road that takes you back home, my friend, there's a road that takes you back home, there's a road that takes you back home again. I can't wait to make my way back home home, my friend, there's a road that takes you back home, there's a road that takes you back home, again. I can't wait to make my way back home.
0: My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, is a California corporation specializing in the creation of media and promotional content. We are focused on original, innovative projects that are good for humanity. These projects could be non-fiction books or novels, fictional screenplays or documentary content, websites and website content, commercial advertising content for print, audio or video products on the internet, television or radio, musical scores for advertising, television or film, video, audio editing, etc. We want to promote products and projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy experience in living, developing, nurturing, and useful technology, and offering platforms for positive, socially constructive entertainment or informative, transformative media. Our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast, and we offer client-based and collaborative products, as well as the opportunity of active investors to join us in the creation and promotion of proprietary products, some of which are in latter stages of development. For more information, go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com. That's www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com. If you're interested in talking to us, just fill out the contact sheet and we will get back with you. Are you confused about so much information on health issues? Do you find it hard to trust the sources of conflicting advice? Try Dr. Rodier's newsletters and blogs based on the latest information published in the best medical and nutritional journals. There's no charge for subscribing, just log on to hugorodier.com, that's H-U-G-O-R-O-D-I-E-R.com to do so, or to download Dr. Rodier's latest publications. We're back with Paula Lenz, who has just told an amazing story, which is how she encountered a whole different dimension of experience of spirit, very similar to what people experience when they've gone through the near-death experience, and um, I think it's a. I think I'd like to. You know, Dr. Janice Holden wrote a, afterward in the book where she explains that Paul's experience is an unusual one and defies exact classification as as attributes of an after-death communication shared death experience and near-death experience. Even the circumstances of of her experience are unusual, and that she left her body while she was driving her brother's personal truck, which is what you had just spoken about. I want to say that the the sort of uh, shared death experience is a lot newer in in the public mind than uh, near-death experience. And the person who broke that information, I think, publicly was, again, Raymond Moody in a book called Glimpses of Eternity, sharing a loved one's passage from this life to the next. And um, your experience wasn't after you died or you shared an experience, but your brother was already deceased. And it's so extraordinary. Let's find out what happened to you, Paula, after that enormous change in your life.
1: Yes, my consciousness and my view of life on earth after that could never be the same. And I, that particular day, right after my experience, you know, when I went on to my grandparents' house, I was still in a state of, I don't know if you call it bliss or just having been so much in oneness with spirit, but I I felt really at peace and happy. And when I got to my grandparents' house, I it was kind of strange because, well, number one, I didn't say anything to them about this experience. I myself was just, you know, still trying to figure out what had happened to me. But it was interesting that that particular day, it was almost as though I could see through my brother's eyes how he was viewing us in our grief because I could see how much my, of course, my grandparents were grieving about my brother. But I told them, you know, that I knew he was okay, and I was trying to comfort them. But it was almost as though I were separated from that feeling of grief, just knowing that I'd had this one-on-one experience with my brother. Uh, So I felt really at peace that day. But I have to say that after that day it, it was like I just fell back into deep grief because I knew that my brother was not going to be in this life again with me here and you know I I was of course extremely saddened by that yeah in, in spite of the this great experience I'd had with him but you know he continued to for the rest of my life have outreach to me and these after-death communications. Now, I I never had another out-of-body experience with him, but I did at my house back in Houston. Uh, There was one time I walked out of my bedroom, and for an instant, I did see him in my living room there.
0: Oh, okay.
1: But he was not looking at me. He was standing over by our stereo cabinet and looking there. Uh, And even to this day, even though it was like an instantaneous image there, I still see him very plainly, the image, even though it was, you know, just a mere second or two. But thereafter, as I said, I've had continued to have after-death communications from him. And for example, in our house in Houston there, I would come home from work and in our dining room, which we didn't use very often, I would find that there was this chair in the dining room that was always pulled out from the table, at least a couple of times a week. I finally asked my husband at that point, I said, are you coming in here, you know, sitting down and working on something, or whatever, and he's going, no, I, I ne- you know. You haven't been in there. He said, what are you talking about? And, and I told him what was happening. Um, but that continued to happen until we sold the house. And that happened like six years later before we sold that house. But another instance, was my husband and I were in our TV room together. There were a couple of bookcases in there. And all of a sudden, we're sitting there watching TV, and this video comes flying out from the top shelf of this bookcase. And it's not like it just was at the edge of the shelf or something and just fell out directly down below. No, this thing flew halfway across the room and landed at our feet. And we both looked at each other. And we were like, what just happened here? So, I mean, the two of us experienced that. And another time I came home and I, as I walked into the hallway, there was a book lying up against the far wall. And you could see, we had a bookcase that was built in in the hallway and you could see where this book had come from. It was on the bottommost shelf, which was at carpet level. And you could see where this book had been. And so the book had... Evidently flown out of this bottommost shelf to land across the and remain over by the opposite wall. And when I picked up this book, interestingly enough, it was a volume of an old encyclopedia set. It was the only volume we had. I don't know why we had it, but it was volume D. And of course, my brother's name was Don. And another time, another time, I came home from work and uh, walked our master bedroom. And suddenly I just stopped dead in my tracks because there was a chair that had been placed right in the middle of the doorway for going into the bedroom. And this chair normally was inside the master bedroom in a desk that was in in there. And I actually thought someone was in the house. And I was quite frightened by that whole deal, but you know, again, it was just something that I feel that my brother did. And even my my dad and his wife commented on, at night, they would, at their house, they would hear the buttons, the microwave oven buttons going off as though someone were standing there punching the buttons. And they were commenting that they just felt sure it was my brother's spirit because, you know, he'd come over to their house and help himself to heating up food in the microwave and that sort of thing. And then my mother had a dream encounter with my brother a couple of months after his passing. And essentially, in that dream, a deer was, a young deer was walking up to my mother. And she said when she saw this deer, she knew that it was Donnie. And she began talking to him and she said, Donnie, you need to come back to me right now. And the deer looked at her and said, Mama, I can't do that. I'm happy where I am. And she said, Son, I really need you to come back to me. And he said, Mama, I just can't come back. I'm happy where I am. And at that point, he turned and he began slowly walking away. And my mother said that what happened was as he walked out of the dream, that he took from her heart... The most devastating of feelings that she had about his death. And she said that she, from that moment on in her life, yes, she was still sad and she still missed him. But she said, if he hadn't taken with him that horrible feeling, she said, I'm just not sure I could have lived. I could have lived on in this life. And so, you know. My brother was reaching out to all of us in various ways. And, you know, my sister actually had two years before his death a precognitive dream about how she found out about my brother's death. And she was quite worried after she had had that dream, but she didn't tell anybody about it. And eventually, when nothing happened, she just thought, oh, well, it was just a bad dream. But she did learn about his death in exactly the way the dream had uh, shown her.
0: We will now have to temporarily end this fascinating story, returning on our next version with the powerful aftermath of Paul Lenz's incredible experience. Yes, it's time to say our official goodbyes, going out with Patricia Welch's beautiful version of Evergreen. The Coalition is a unique project designed to empower its members both individually and collectively. Besides individual empowerment, its broader focus is on the restoration, protection, and enhancement of citizen and human rights throughout the world through the aid of its members. As this project is centered in the United States, our first task is to create a website and social network infrastructure to promote collective efforts to take back our rightful control as citizens over our government as designed by our founding fathers. Although we must begin with a social network restricted to United States citizens, the organization will also host a global dialogue for the discussion of human rights by citizens of democratic nations throughout the world. If you're interested, please check us out in the GoFundMe.com website, entering in the search field, The Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. That is, go to GoFundMe.com and enter in the search field, The Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. This is Johnny Blue Star. Imagine a dark night. The wind is crisp and cool, the sky cloudless and majestic. Perhaps you are walking alone or with a loved one. Scattered about the night sky are thousands upon thousands of points of light. Look above you, friends of this restless planet. Out there into the night sky, unknown worlds awake. Beauty behind imagination, intelligence beyond comprehension. Life in its infinite forms and variations, yet all from the same seed, the same fundamental vibration. A cosmic tapestry of infinite light, yet each thread unique and indispensable. Look above you, out into the vastness of the night sky, for your destiny lies out there, somewhere among the stars.
5: the April snow I was always certain love would grow